0: You are listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Seminar, brought to you weekly by Stanford Technology Ventures Program at Stanford University School of Engineering. It is my great pleasure to introduce our speaker today, who is Carol Bartz. Carol Bartz, for the last 14 years, has been the CEO and Chairman of the Board of Autodesk. Uh, she is going to be transitioning very shortly to being the, the Executive Chairman of the Board. Without further ado, here's Carol Bartz. Thanks, Tina. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We're all your colleagues. There's a lot of red chairs in here. Let me tell you what I uh, want to do today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Autodesk because... I love Autodesk, and I'm proud of it, and maybe some of you want to work for us someday. Uh, And then, the reason all these sheets are up here is because what I really like to do is get your questions. And rather than do question-answer, question-answer, I like to get all the questions at one time, at least all the ones you have at the time. And then I can kind of see the themes uh, emerging, and that helps me then understand um, what to tell you and what some of my thoughts are. So that's what we'll do. So start thinking earlier than you would normally uh, about some what some of your questions might be. So let me first, uh, and I, I've i been told that while many of you were told to go up on the website and whatever, you probably didn't. Gee, what a concept. So let me give you a thumbnail. Uh, I'm a University of Wisconsin computer science graduate, long time ago, love computer science. I just, I love programming, I love the whole concept. Ended up out here in high tech after going through digital equipment in Boston. Came out here to work for Sun when Sun had about 100 people and left Sun when um, they were about 4 or 5 billion in revenues and 13,000 people and I ran half of them. So I had all of worldwide sales and so forth. Ended up at Autodesk 14 years ago CEO. When I went to Autodesk, it was a one-product company, a product called AutoCAD, fantastic product, but one product. And and one of the first things that folks realize when they start a company or they join a company is one product is great, especially if it's good, but it's not sustaining uh, for the long term. And so my, my first job at Autodesk was to get past AutoCAD, get into other areas, um, which we certainly have done over the last um, 14 years. We, When I got there, there were about 1,000 people and 270 in, in revenue. We just announced the our fiscal year results yesterday were at 1.5, $1.523 uh, three billion, about 6,000 employees. And, you know, we have a great balance in the company. About 35% of our business is selling to the manufacturing sector, about 30% to construction and architecture, 20% to infrastructure, so that's anything that's built outside. So roads, bridges, what utility, airports, ports, that sort of thing. And then 15% is in the entertainment, media and entertainment business. So all those games that you're probably playing uh, on either consoles or PCs, the movies you see with special effects, anything you see that can't possibly be real, our software did it. So the way I, everybody needs an elevator pitch, my elevator pitch is if God didn't make it, one of my customers did. And that is whether that's the, the entertainment world you're dealing with, or whether that's the real world, the physical world um, that you're living in. And that's really what we're all about. Um, Very, very exciting time as a company. This is our fourth year of plus 20% growth. um, And in high tech, that's pretty amazing. Last year, we were the number one performing stock on the uh, S&P 500. So, you know, fantastic results for the company. Last year meaning a year ago, uh, just to be right here. So it's been a great time, but after 14 years as CEO, I'm going to be executive chairman, and and someone else can sign all those Sarbanes-Oxley forms. Um, Just a little dig, in case you don't know what that is. It's not a lot of fun lately, being a CEO, but that's not the reason. It is after 14 years, and I'm going to be executive chairman. Actually, what I'm going to be doing is spending at least half my time uh, doing some of the things I'm passionate about, which is emerging geos. So I'm going to spend a lot of time in India and China, Uh, Eastern Europe, Middle East, um, because there's so much opportunity, not only, by the way, in the markets emerging there, but in how our customers actually do parts of their work there. So whether they're designing a product in one place in Germany, manufacturing in China, whether they're a New York architect doing an airport in India, you know, the way thing, the way design information gets created and and the way it has to be communicated in the flat world, is so totally different than anything we could have imagined even, you know, four years ago. So I'm going to spend a lot of time with the customers, a lot of time in these emerging geos, and just, um, you know, have a little flexibility. So that's what I'm all about. So quick thumbnail on Autodesk, um, great company to work for. So again, if any of you guys are interested, I know there's a lot of engineers in here and business people, so if, if you're interested, you know, contact us. Um, And I'm going to start with the the format question and uh, and tell you why I've done this. And I've done this for years, and I started doing this with my employees. Um, First of all, uh, typically, uh, when I go around the world and talk to employees, um, there's always some message I want to give them. I mean, that's my job is to – I'm already so sick of the message, but that is my job to – To deliver, how are we doing? You know, cheerlead, this is a problem, let's do this and that. Once I'm past that, I really want to know what they're about. And what I found is by doing question, answer, question, answer, I could get bogged down in an area that somebody zealously had put their hand up first, but that isn't really what everybody else wanted to know about. And so by doing this, I could go thematically. Now, here, this, these questions were about me, more personally. These questions were about the company. And these questions actually were um, about outside trends and things. So you could see how I started grouping them. I also then, in answering, don't have to answer this, this, this. I can lump, I can kind of do a speech around the concept. And that's how I started this, this whole concept years ago. Oh, they put those up. No. I mean, a lot of times I'll just have a flip chart and I'm going back and forth. No, there's there's nothing magical. I mean, I guess there could be eight topics, but I haven't figured out what they are. So that that's the whole point of that. Um, so let me first let me first sort of start with um, a little bit on company issues. Um, you know, um, let, let's first start about this concept of one product to many. And in, in a way, it's also this concept of AutoCAD as a standard. This is a weird pen. Okay. One product to many, and this AutoCAD as a standard, how do you think about other products? Because it, kind of, it, it kind of rolled into the same topic. Um, the, the, the interesting concept when I got to the company was that we really didn't know who we were selling AutoCAD to We knew architects, and they they were drafters, but drafters isn't a market. Drafters are just people that draw lines on paper, and they print out things, but what do they draft? And they could be drafting a a, a huge mechanical assembly. They could be doing a a deck on your house. They could be in a commercial building. They could be trying to design a bridge, or they could be designing a violin. I mean, in fact, they do prosthesis. They do all those things. And so when I first asked the question, we were doing a new release right when I got there. and I said, well, what is an architect going to like in this, in this release? And they said, well, we're not sure. I said, well, what is a manufacturing engineer going to like in this release? Well, they weren't sure. So I went out and talked to the customers. And I said, um, you know, what do you think of the company? What do you think? And they said, you know, we like the company. We, I kinda, I'm an architect. I kind of like AutoCAD. But it isn't designed for me. It's designed for the manufacturing guy. So I go over and talk to manufacturing guys. Same thing, except you know it's not designed for me. It's designed for the architect. And everybody was saying it's not really a product. I use it maybe because it's a standard. And now I kind of have to, and it kind of does a job. But it, it works better for somebody else. Zzz, problem, <laughs> huge problem. So in a way, because it was such a huge problem, it was kind of a simple thing, which is saying, how do we actually start tailoring? This is a base graphical engine. How do we start tailoring it to very specific problems? So what does a manufacturing engineer do versus what does an architect do versus what does a civil engineer do, et cetera, et cetera? So the the first phase that we went into is just that concept of saying, we are making a special product for you. The fact that the graphical engine underneath did drafting, but here's your special functions, and here's a name, and it's for you. It actually has manufacturing kind of terms in it, doesn't have architectural terms in it, It blah, blah, blah. So the, kind of a – and, you know, what happens is anytime you're in a software company, you talk about standards. You know, we can talk about standards bodies. We can talk a lot about interoperability. The point of the matter is the best way to make a standard is volume. <laughs> the best way to get your file format um, out and adopted is having a lot of people use it. Now – we could do an out, We could do a three-hour seminar on how standards get set and all that, and that's not our purpose today. But the whole idea on how to think about other products is: can you get other products to volume? Because the trick in a software company is, once you get past, um, you know, covering your costs, profits fall pretty fast to the bottom because cost of goods is virtually nothing. And so, getting a product to volume, getting another AutoCAD. I mean, when you look at a company like Adobe, what is so great about them is they have three huge products, and that is just profit, profit, profit. You look at Microsoft. You look at Office. You look at at the OS. Profit, profit. They can screw around in a lot of other areas because they've got those huge profit machines, and that's what software actually gives you. So absolutely, every time you think about another product, you really think, can I get a volume product out of this? Now, tying into this, you know... A lot, of these people want, a lot of you want to start companies and what's important for us. You know, when, when we take a look at an area, and I'll give you an example, building. It's very easy to say, well, we're just going to design a product that an architect can use. But, you know, that's not the whole job. What does the structural engineer use to make sure that the building stays standing? What does the construction company use to make sure you have construction scheduling, risk management, bidding, blah, you know, on and on and on? All those are sort of add-on things that you can sell to similar kind of customers. In fact, what we say is for every person that designs or makes a blueprint, as you would know it, or a drawing, 10 other people do something with it. They either have to do analysis on it, more design on it, buy on it, market it, construct it, manufacture it, whatever. How do I sell to those other 10 people? So whenever we talk about what other technology can we buy, it's is there – some additional things that customers in our space would use. We're not as interested in running out and saying, let's go sell pineapples to somebody. Um, We're very interested because the space we're in is so huge. It does build the world in the kind of companies that add on to our kind of technology. And so, again, whether that's in the manufacturing space, infrastructure, so forth. And that's how we think about the world. We tend to make six, eight acquisitions a year, and they tend to be around – Um, In fact, we just made an acquisition uh, company in in, uh, Atlanta called Constructware and they do construction bidding um, and scheduling. And we will put it with our online, um, you know, document management system that helps people manage all the documents in the whole architecture, building, construction process. So a natural fit, natural, natural fit. So that's sort of how that we think about that. Interestingly enough, we talked about dot .com time, here we were kind of moving along. So I got there in 92, and two things had to happen. First of all, we had 10 years, we had 10-year-old AutoCAD. So we had very gnarly 10-year-old technology. And, and again, putting it in sort of building terms, we had a foundation that had a crazy kind of Winchester house on top of it. <laughs> So, you know, it, it, it no longer supported itself correctly. It had to be totally re-architected. So the way I like to explain it is, you know, we're heading down the, you know, 101, 100 miles an hour trying to change the tires. And that is exactly what we were trying to do. Because we had one product, we had to, you know, get, a, get other releases out, and we had to be changing the core of the product. That was a really bumpy time. Made it through that time, not without a few histronics, I will tell you. Very bumpy time. Started verticalizing, so we had vertical products, and what happens? Goddamn .com came. And I have to tell you, here we are. We are a software company. Now remember, in those times, software was out. And we sold to the oldest line customers you could think about. Manufacturers. I mean, we were not popular we were not popular. So, it you know, and again, it goes, part of this, you know, how do you reinvent yourself? How do you reinvent the company? And I'm, I remember staying up at night saying, I thought you kind of slid into irrelevance. I didn't think you like fell off the cliff into irrelevance. And I really felt like all of a sudden I woke up one day and nobody cared. And it was so bizarre. It was so bizarre. And so one of the things you get to do as a leader is you get to you know, be morose for about five minutes, and then you got to pick yourself up and go. And what I realized, and and then it wasn't just me. I mean, what we realized is that regardless of what happened with usedgolfballs.com, that was my favorite. I used to pass out the my favorite new companies every week to staff, just to kind of, you know. And that was my favorite, usegolfballs.com. Give me a friggin' break. Um, I have a lot of used golf balls, and I did not need to find them on the Internet. <laughs> um, what we discovered is, regardless, networks, large networks were going to irrevocably change the way our customers worked. And that was before Tom Friedman in the flat world, and it was going to absolutely change. If the Because uh, think about it. Well, you probably haven't thought about it, but... The information our customers create is, they're enormous files. A Enor- hundred meg files, nothing for, nothing for our customers. That's a little assembly. So we never could do much networking, because unless you were inside a firewall, inside a company, there was no way to pass this information around. It was really, you know, phone, fi- feet, FedEx, flying. That's how rolls of drawings got around. They never went electronically. So we started this whole concept called digital design data, or D-cubed, and process. And those are my, I mean, I got so sick for two years. Every time I went in front of customers, I made, I mean, in front of employees, I made them repeat that. And what was that all about? That the whole design process was going to go digital, and that was going to be a long journey, and the way our customers did their work was forever going to change. We didn't exactly know how, but it was forever going to change, and what were we going to do about it? So we kind of took that time when people weren't paying attention and started trying to figure out how to make our products useful in a network fashion, what customers were going to start thinking they were going to do, and voila. So interestingly, when the recession hit for all those kind of companies, we were ready to go. So we've been, I mean, our return in the last five years is, you know, we're like number two in the software industry for return in the last five years. So in the toughest time that high-tech has had, we have done the best because we took the tough time and just got ready. And that's the kind of growth that, that, um, that we've seen since then. I mean, it's just been, you know, fantastic growth for the company. So, you know, kind of interesting, you know, and that, that goes t- into this how to spend time with the customers. Listen, we have a lot of people in the company that we do blind, you know, the customers behind the mirrors, we, do, um, we have a huge user group worldwide and we do their you know, favorite uh, wish lists and they vote on wish lists internationally and what do they want us to do and all this sort of thing. Um, what I do with customers, believe it or not, two things happen when you're a CEO and you go out and talk to a customer. Either they just sit there kind of awestruck because you visited them and, they're, they're, and they play nice or they, they, they get you by the throat and decide they're going to tell you every bad thing the company did. And it's usually not, it's one or the other. Uh, it, believe me, it's usually one or the other. Um, I love the ones that say, I, and I always say, what can we do better for you? What are your issues? What's happening? And um, so that's what I do with customers. Thank them for their business and try and get the executives to say, gee, what's happening? How do you like Autodesk as a partner? So... Uh, and, of course, let's face it, I'm the chief salesman. That's my job. In fact, when I go sign the, the uh, form to go, when I go into enter other countries and they go occupation, I always write sales. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to write CEO because I'm afraid they'll kidnap me anyway, but I figure somehow that's all connected. But um, I always write sales because that's my job. I absolutely believe that's my job. Um, from a global uh, standpoint, global strategy standpoint, um, it's interesting. We, we were very unusual as a company. We had, I think, 14 founders, no VC money. Three of those were Europeans, so we were in Europe very, very quickly. We're 60% interna- international. We have been for years. So going to, we sell in 170 some countries. So so going international is not a new concept for the company. In fact. One of the smartest things the founders and the, and the folks did those first 10 years is have an, have an open API before they were even called APIs um, so that you could take our AutoCAD and they could actually localize it. And I don't mean language, but building standards. Because the way you build in Germany is not the way you build in Iowa is not the way you build in India. And so uh, we have about 2,000 third-party software companies, some large, some couple person companies that actually specialize our products for certain markets and certain industries and that really has helped us go global now there's actually something more important in how you do business in emerging markets that i personally think a lot of companies aren't doing enough of and that is really paying attention i mean i call it, we call it kind of the mcdonalds starbucks factor we literally have a pricing index. I mean if somebody, you know, what do you pay for a Starbucks in this country? What do you pay for McDonald's in this country? And and why is it that you would pay the same for AutoCAD in that country? I mean, I go I was in Chile a couple months ago and the Minister of Education said, you know, Miss Bartz, you know, if we only ma- if our our average worker only makes x amount, how can they pay 3x to buy your product? Well, they can't. So what are they going to do? They're going to steal it or they're going to do it by hand, and it's usually the first. Um, About eight products are stolen for everyone bought from us. So that gives you an idea of how deep the piracy is. So we'd be a, you know, 10 billion plus company if we could monetize all the products that have been stolen. Um, So you have to pay attention. You know, what are the wages in this country? What is the, you know, what are the, you know, what's the living pattern in this country? You got to price accordingly. And you got to package accordingly. And a lot of, I know a lot of multinational companies get very nervous about that concept because they think, well, then this company's going to, this country's going to feel cheated. Why can't they, why do they pay 6000 and these people pay 600 Well, you don't get over it. That's how, that's how it works. And so one of the smartest things we do emerge in the emerging countries is really look at wage standards, labor standards, that sort of thing. And we price accordingly. You also, of course, have to, You know, certain things you have to do with language, certain things you have to do with their particular manufacturer building standards, but that's pretty obvious kind of stuff. Um, The other thing we do very, very importantly is we don't send um, expats into these countries. We hire locally. um, The whole operation is local, and it works very, very well for us. We we just have not ever been a company that sent our – you know, Americans out over the world. It j- that just does not make a lot of sense. Um, so, from a global strategy, let me just say one more thing about the flat world because I love the fact that Friedman did the book because it gives us all a language. Um, the whole concept, though, is it is forever changed how we find resources as a company how we deploy resources as a company, how we sell as a company, where we manufacture and market as a company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Forever changed. And what I tell my customers, uh, we just had major account seminars uh, around the U.S. in the last few weeks, and so we bring CEOs in, and I kind of do a CEO-to-CEO talk. What I say to customers is, if you aren't thinking about how you're changing your company, you will not be a relevant company. If you are not figuring out how you do your work 7.24. 7.24. And by 7.24, it's not only, you know, are you waking up with the clock, which is okay when, the you know, uh, Europe goes to sleep, the U.S. wakes up, and Asia, and so on and so forth. But how are people, how can people actually be doing jobs simultaneously? How you get information over to your, you know, new China customer um, in the hands of your salespeople so they can be effective first shot you know, and and their first presentation. And, you know, most people are just scared to death of this whole concept. So it has forever changed. And that – so the idea of not only viewing emerging markets as a a great potential – I mean, India just passed the magic $500 per capita income, which turns a country to have a vibrant middle class. That's huge. That's a huge deal. They're going to buy things like shampoo. Why is that important to us? Guess what? shampoo bottles are stamped out with big hunkin' machines. Who designs those machines? Guess what? Engineers that use our products. Who designs a building that those big hunkin' machines goes in? Guess what? Architects that use our products. On and on and on. And um, I love going into a drugstore and, I mean, just, I, I get off on saying there's a 100 different bottle types here. Now, it's not just did somebody draw this design, you know, for that bottle, why do I care? That's a different mold. That's a different machine, um, really. So, I mean, all, not only the consumer power, but how we're going to actually operate in this global economy is just such a kick to learn about. Now, I'm going to segue over here. You know, how do you develop yourself? Well, l- let me tell you something, and I've been on this kick for about the last year with my managers, and I, and I, I like to say things in little phrases. What I like to say is if you're not an interested person, you're not an interesting person. And to me, what does that mean? You know, be interested in what's going around in the world. Don't just be interested in what's going on in these square miles of the Stanford campus. And you guys can hardly be accused of that because this is the kind of environment that doesn't let you. But be interested. Be interested in things. Because the more interested you are, the more interesting you are to somebody else, and they will tell you something they were interested in, and now you're, you've learned something else, and it just develops. So you develop, you're more interesting at parties, you're more interesting at work, you get people, you you, you get stimulated by things. And I always, you know, the other way I say is, make sure your learning curve is always up and to the right. When, when somebody asks me, what did I do out of college, and how did that change? Well, let me tell you, the first thing I did out of college is try to figure out how in the frig am I going to pay all these debts back. Um, so what I really worried about was just making money. And I made $725 a month. And I realized that wasn't going to work, even though it was a lot of years ago. Um, and so what I always, what I sort of, I, I never had a plan. I. I'm, in fact, one of the things I loved about Ed McCracken at SGI is he always said if you do a plan, you kind of limit what the possibilities are. It's not quite that simple. I mean, that's like saying there are no plans in the world. That, it doesn't work. So, But the spirit of what he's saying is correct. You, you can hinder yourself by saying, I'm only capable of doing this, and this is my next step, and this is my next step, and this is my next step. That's kind of a boring concept. Um, what I always figured out is if I was really fascinated by something and I could kind of pick up on it and run, that I would get noticed. And I always felt I hate people that come in and say, what's my next job? My answer usually is your next job is somewhere else. Because, first of all, I don't have time. Nobody. Let me give you a tidbit. This is a tidbit, Tina. Nobody gives a shit about your career but your mom. (laughs) <laughs> and you and you, seriously, your manager doesn't because your manager's worried about his career, his manager doesn't nobody else does. you have to worry about it what do you that doesn't mean you go asking everybody what your next career job is because they 're worried about their stuff, so you know what? just do it. get ready for the job, do the next job, prove yourself capable. I always got the next job because they always sort of figured out somehow I would sort of done it. And gee, let, Carol's kind of taken that leadership role and we're going to put her there. So the first thing you always have to do is do a good job in what you're assigned to and then see how you can help. How can you help the corporation? Get on task force. You know, assign yourself to other groups. Do something that shows people that you're interested and that you therefore are, are a viable asset. So the way mm-hmm. I sort of thought, and I, I, by the way, this wasn't, Formulated at 21. I mean, so I'm not being that stupid, but I always sort of thought it's kind of that thing you have. You kind of learn in school, which is if you get good grades, people think that's nice, and you get attention if you get the A's, and you know you're doing a good job. It's that way in business. You know, you do. You don't have. You don't have to toe the line and be a yes person. But you're doing a good job. You're interesting. You're you're thinking about things, and you're just trying to help the organization out. Because if you do that, you know who the biggest beneficiary is? You. And it isn't about somebody else helping you manage that. And so so, I don't think I actually changed that much during the time. I never in a thousand years thought that I'd be a CEO. I mean, the town I grew up in had 800 people. I mean, my company has 6,000, so there you go. Um... So it wasn't, I I didn't have that. I call that the male dominant gene that you have to run something. I didn't have that. Um, That's supposed to be funny. You guys, (laughs) maybe you're of another era. Maybe it doesn't work anymore. No wonder I'm retiring. Um, So it's more, it's just more of make sure you're learning. If you're not learning, then you better move on because you're the one hurt. That means you won't be an interesting person because you're not learning. So if you really aren't learning, go find something else to do. Don't beat yourself. Uh, but don't get confused by, now there, I'm getting into my little rules here. Don't ever get confused by a bad boss. Bad bosses are really good for you because they help you understand what you'll never do when you're a boss. They are. You don't learn as much from a good manager as you do from a bad manager because a good manager, things are kind of going well and you don't think a whole lot about, how it's happening. With a bad manager, you figure out pretty fast. It's got to be that way with a professor. You get a bad professor, you're like You get a good professor, you just feel good, right? It's that concept. So don't run, don't don't mix up a learning curve and a bad manager problem. You could still be learning with a bad manager, stay there. If you truly aren't learning, go someplace else. I mean, that's the biggest piece of advice I can give you on that. and so back to kind of this developing self, just, just keep interested in things. I mean, I, that's, that sounds so simple. I read about five newspapers a day. Even if I'm traveling and, I, you know, I get stuck only reading whatever is available in China or whatever, I have all the newspapers saved for me. I come back sometimes and I have 50 new newspapers to read. It drives my husband nuts because he can't understand why I'm reading old news. But it's not old news if I've never read it. It's new news to me, and I hate missing news. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a slog going through some of these <laughs> papers, I'll tell you. Um, l- let's do life balance a minute. Um, I, <laughs> and I think this is one of the clips Tina uses. Um, first thing I want to tell you, don't pass up on kids because you think you're going to have a great career. Now, kids are a big pain in the ass. I'm sure your parents have figured that out. Um, <laughs> but they're the best thing that ever happens to you. So never get confused that you're gonna be an entrepreneur and that to do that you have to give up the, the family. That is just not the case. Yeah, do you have to give some things up? I don't know where that was here. Do you have to give, some, oh, personal trade-offs. Do you have to give some things up? Sure. You have to give some things up, period. That's just the way it works. Um, but on this whole idea of of, you know, how you balance yourself and so forth, the biggest piece of advice I can give you is understand this longer time frames than people usually give themselves. You know, my, the, w- the favorite way I like to explain this, if you really talk about a balanced life, you would really start by saying, you got to get up in the morning, you better get exercised. You know, I'm a wife and a mother, I better get that hot breakfast on the table, I better clean that house before I go, mm, you gonna be ready. On the way to work, I better check in with my college friends because I've got to keep your friend network going. You know, get to work, do a great job there. Oh, a little charity work. Okay, i got to get that done. i got to teach a class. got to give back to the community. Here I am. Oh, hot dinner. uh, oh, got to help with that homework. Ah, oh, sex. I don't think so. Um, who can do that? That, this is balance. Does this look? like it's achievable. This is, a non, this is a non-functioning concept. This is what balance is. It's a constant maneuvering of catching things before it hits the floor. Seriously. Oh, I haven't been home in a while. I've been traveling. And by the way, I've been traveling, so this weekend I'm not going to take autodesk calls. I'm not going to do email. I'm going to pay attention. Oh, you know, this, that. You get the concept. Give yourself longer periods of time. Set yourself – I mean, I, when, when my daughter was in grade school, when she cared about spending time with me, um, I would sit down with her. And I started, by the way, in kindergarten and said – we took the school calendar and we circled the dates. I said, I will be here for Halloween party, Christmas sing, blah, blah, blah. Anything else is a surprise. So don't come home and say, will you drive on the school trip to see the snakes? I don't think so, Bustabans. Not in my plan. Um, so, And so what would happen is she never came home and said, oh, you're not coming because she knew that's what we were going to do and I would try to pleasantly surprise her a couple times. What did she learn? She learned obligations. She learned scheduling. You know, she learned she had a busy mom. I mean, whatever. But at least we didn't, I wasn't running around feeling pressured every minute that I wasn't doing something. And it just worked better. So... On this life balance, you're going to make choices over and over and over again. Just try and put them in context and give yourself a longer time period and explain to people that's what you're going to do. I mean, I'll say to Bill, you know, I'm really busy until June. I am really busy till June. I'm going to go light July and August, and then I'm real busy until until Christmas. He knows now. Now he forgets, so I'm going to have to tell him a few times, But um, but that's the way you operate. And that's the way you should think about managing yourself going forward. Um, uh, let me see. Learn sales. Listen, I was a sale- bad carrying salesman. I absolutely, I mean, my other big piece of, oh, I've given you a lot of big pieces of advice. Being a salesman is a great learning experience. A fanta- you know, being out there and carrying a quota and convincing somebody to buy your product and service is a fantastic learning experience. Um, uh, uh, you know, I I think every engineer should do it. I think every finance person should do it. That's usually pretty much a stretch, but um, you should do it. I mean, it's it's and it doesn't mean you're going to make that your lifetime profession. But understanding what it takes to represent your company and your products and services to the public and to your customers is a huge huge deal. And you know, I did that with DEC. I did that with 3M. And I did that with Sun. So I was, you know, I, I sort of, I have this co- this concept of the pyramid for your career. You know, don't be afraid of doing a lot of lateral things. If you, a career as a ladder is a very unsteady concept. Doesn't that look more unsteady than a pyramid? And people think, oh, I got to get ahead. I got to get ahead, got to get ahead, got to get ahead. Guess, guess what, you get up here, you have no foundation. You have two little things in the ground. That is no foundation. Don't be afraid of lateral moves. Don't be afraid of even taking salary decreases. You've got 40 friggin' years to work. You don't have to accomplish everything in the first 10. In fact, you'll bore yourself to death if you do. So the point of the matter is go do a lot of lateral things. I mean, I was in sales. I was in marketing. I was customer service. I ran an engineering group. The only thing I didn't actually do is the real hands-on finance because, I'm, frankly, I'm not qualified. Um, and by the time I got up here the CEO, I was ready. And by the way, this doesn't have to be CEO. This could be uh, VP of marketing. VP of marketing would be well served by having done sales, by having done customer service, blah, 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 by having done product marketing, having done the advertising, and voila, well, there you are, VP of marketing. So think of the, thing, think of the things a little more laterally. Um, five minutes, right? Um, oh, corporate governance, that's just a long conversation. Um, Listen, let's first talk about the valley. You know, the valley's always been an idea place. It's always been a fantastic, wonderful place for creativity. I really, um, I hate the fact that that people are getting whacked out over some jobs someplace else in the world. We sell to those other places in the world. They deserve to have some of those jobs. That just should make us better. I, I think competition is just a fantastic motivator. And I think Silicon Valley will be better because of competition. It will be better because of, you know, Austin. It's better because of Boston. It's better because of Arizona. It's better because of China. It's just better. And that's how we have to view things. If you're, If you're viewing it from a protectionist system, I don't personally think it works. So without going long more into that, we will be an idea place here. We will be a place of, of invention and, and, and wonderful things, whether it's in bio, whether it's in software, whether it's in hardware and networking, kind of semi, kind of pick your, pick your poison. Corporate governance and boards, let me kind of finish on that. Um, um, you know, I guess I've been around long enough, uh, out of school in 71, Things come and go. We're just in this terrible time when we're getting too much help as companies. Um, we're getting an awful lot of help on how we should do things. Um, we ended up, oh, my God, um, spending $6 million to pass uh, SOX 404, sovereign Sober- Oxley 404, it's a certain rule. That's to attest to all your internal this and that. We found, a, I think, three or four things. The large thing we found was worth $7,000. It was a $7,000 invoice someplace. It didn't blah, blah, blah. It didn't do a darn thing to help us out. It just bored the IT people and the internal auditors to death. I mean, we almost lost them because they just had this you know, inane stuff that they had to do. Um, it's like everything else. Um, you have to do your job. You have to do your job as a board member. You have to do your job as a uh, member of the company, but frankly, um, Sometimes you get too much government help on these things and we're kind of in that mode right now. Now I want to end with this role to the community because that's a nice way to end. Um, It's very important as a company and as a person to to think about the community. Some people get involved very young and they do Peace Corps kind of stuff and you know what, that kind of stuff is great. As a corporate chieftain, we sort of look at two things. Uh, one is what can we do with our resources and our name, and the other thing is what can our employees do. So we have every, all the kind of normal stuff in both of those, but one thing that we do special with our employees is we give them four hours a month paid time off that they can group together, by the way, for a year. They can go on the AIDS ride for 14 days, and it's paid. Um, they can decide what they want to do. They can use it to go to their schools. If their kids are in school and they want to be a home mother, I mean a school mom, you know, classroom mom, they go. Uh, and we very much encourage that kind of involvement. Me personally, I found that just like this balance thing, I pick a couple things because everything could be important otherwise. And I like to focus. Um, I personally like to focus on education, especially math and science for young girls. And, or for girls in general, and um, and cancer, because I'm a cancer survivor. So those are my two hot buttons. You know, you asked uh, earlier, how do I have time to get come do this class? I get so many requests every year, and I feel my responsibility is to do, you know, four or five of these a year around the country, actually around the world. I, I do these with, uh, I actually should say, you know, when I went to China, I had about 2,000 students show up. So... Now that I think about it, and they actually asked for my autograph, so now that I think about it, I don't think I'm going to come back here again. <laughs> but um, because, again, um, it, it's part of what I have to do to give back. So you you have to, in this big thing of balance, you know, occasionally I say, oh, i got to get out in the community, and so that's why I'm here. I actually love doing this sort of thing. So I hope this format worked for you. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope the people on the podcast, new world, isn't it? Oh, my God, it's going to go all over. So, thank you. Well, you all heard Carol. Carol. Um, please, uh, next quarter, we're going to set a goal of 2,000 people to fill this out. Sorry, a little bit more. Um, on behalf of BASIS and STVP, we'd like to thank Carol Bartz for joining us as our speaker today. Oh, thank you. Please. Oh, that's very nice. Now I'll remember I was here. <laughs>